Welcome to the Retzel Health Law Hotspot. Health Law Hotspot is a podcast for physicians and health professionals that covers the legal issues and trends that affect the healthcare industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Law Hotspot. I'm Erica Adler, shareholder and leader of the healthcare practice at Retzel and Andrus. Today, I'm joined by Janie Tremlett, who's going to talk to us about how physicians can explore the opportunity to introduce value-based care to their practices. Janie's an experienced business executive with CWH Advisors with a strong focus in handling strategy and revenue producing functions like provider revenue and health plan contract management, sales and marketing, client services and success, strategic consulting, um, and product marketing. And she brings to us today a topic that we haven't really ever discussed, but which is growing certainly in importance which has to do with value-based care. Now, I know physicians are not sure that there's a role for them, particularly if they have a small practice in value-based care. We're going to hear from Janie today about whether that's true or not. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Erica. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's it's a uh, burning question. And um, right now, you know, if we look at the total revenue of um provider organizations from small practices to large health systems, it's still a pretty small percentage, you know, of the total revenue. Most people are still on a fee-for-service basis and operating that way. However, there's a strong push. Certainly CMS um, and Medicare and Medicaid have been pushing hard to move um, practices um, and, and health systems to a value-based mode. So in other words, you know, looking more at outcomes rather than, you know, a, a service approach. Um, so what I would say in terms of who, you know, who should participate now and, and um, you know, how do you tell if you're too small or, or whatever might be on your mind? I would say if, you know, you're really struggling with fee-for-service rates, in other words, you know, you know, especially if you're in a specialty where the rates have been very challenging compared to what you need to pay providers to deliver these services, then, you know, these value-based contracts might offer um, things like bundled rates, which might be a better um, scenario for you. Um, the other thing is, if you do have a large Medicaid and or Medicare population, again, you know, CMS is leaning towards doing more and more value-based um, type of contracts. Um, so, you know, and, and again, if you have uh, a population that, that you're managing, uh, so patients in your practice that, you know, have a lot of chronic illness, you know, that would also be another, uh, um, opportunity for value-based, um, care and contracting. And that's just, you know, a few examples, there are many more, but just something to start with. And, um, the, the great thing about where value-based contracting is right now, there's a huge spectrum in terms of how you get started and where you are. I think most people feel if I get into value-based care and contracting, I have to go, you know, at full risk with my population and, you know, it has to be a very complicated scenario. And there are many sort of steps to get your feet wet along the way. I actually have a slide um, that we've shared that might be helpful in terms of just seeing a visual of you know how you can start in the different elements. So if I could, let me share it now. 
Um, so you can see on the left, um, fee for service, which again, most people are involved with right now, all the way to, you know, what's called capitation um, and performance-based contracting, which is basically the uh, most complicated and involved uh, value-based uh, care and contracting arrangements you can get involved with. And, you know, so that you can certainly start slowly. There are many um, insurance companies and health plans that are offering uh, what's called pay for performance. So in other words, you know, if your patient population meets certain uh, outcomes, you get a upside in the revenue that is attributed to you for meeting those uh, outcome objectives. So that's a, a good way to get started. Um, it's it's pretty straightforward and often people are looking at, depending upon what your specialty is, um, what the, the appropriate objectives might be um, to accomplish that. But again, that might be a good way to start. Um, and it's still very encounter-based. As you move closer to capitation, you start getting into uh, more from an episodic perspective. So again, if your practice, you know, which is typically seen with chronic conditions and uh, certain types of specialties where there's a, a whole bunch of services that you deliver uh, to, to treat a patient for a particular condition or, um, or even episodically. And it makes sense that right now from a fee-for-service basis, you're reporting that on an encounter-encounter basis when you move to things like shared savings and bundle payments, you can now bundle things together. And there might be some advantages there where there are certain types of services which are not reimbursed today that might be reimbursed under this model. Um, and typically these bundled rates are higher than fee-for-service to recognize that there are, you know, it's more holistic treatment of the patient with more services that are being offered than on a fee-for-service basis. So that that's just an example of how you can start, you know, what might be appropriate for your practice uh, or organization and the different types of value-based arrangements um, that exist. So, it, I mean, this is really interesting to me in terms of practical, you know, operational type uh, you know, decision-making or steps. Uh, does this work for the solo doctor or do you have to have a certain number of people and how would they go about finding these types of contracts? I mean, if you're just a doctor, you have a very busy practice, they hear this podcast, this sounds great. I mean, where do they go? What do they do? Right. I, I think the, you know, since this is focused on populations, I think it depends upon how many patients a you know a solo practitioner might have um but if the if the patient volume is is big enough plus you know if the composition of the patient volume for example is um has a lot of chronic conditions um that they're they're managing then yes they 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 could be a candidate um for value-based contracting and basically how you get started you know, I would recommend that you talk to the health plans or insurance companies that you're currently contracted with um, and ask them, you know, do you have any value-based programs going on? You know, would I be a candidate for them 
um, and just to try to dig a little bit deeper into um, what's going on for um, for their their current, you know, insurance companies and and payer mix. Okay, so even a, a smaller physician or physician practice that has enough of a patient population uh, could themselves call up the payors and kind of talk to them. Now, right. does it? Are there particular specialties? I know you mentioned, you know, chronic conditions. You mentioned Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, mm -hmm. Are there certain specialties where this really is just not going to work for them and and or it works great for them that, you know, so if anybody's listening to this, they they don't right. kind of waste time. If it's not a good fit. Well, what would you say to that? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think there are there are definitely um specialties that many of the payers and insurance companies are focusing on um, either because of, you know, issues with access to care. So one example I can give you is behavioral health. You know, behavioral health has been a specialty that um, has had challenges with fee-for-service rates. And there is, as everybody knows, a, a big issue with access to care. There's a, a big shortage on the behavioral health side. So there are a lot of initiatives within health plan organizations um, to look at doing value-based contracting um, to try to make it more attractive for behavioral health providers. So that's an example of one that's definitely up and coming. And there's, um, you know, a fair amount of focus, you know, on that specialty. Have you seen people go to value-based healthcare and it just didn't work for them? And can you then reverse it and pull out? Yeah, it's it's so value-based contracting, while sounds great, people are always very uh, enamored with, oh, you know, this is going to be a higher revenue uh, for me. It, it, it also comes with operational, um, extra operational responsibility. Um, so you know, you, one thing we always recommend is to really understand what you're getting into and all, also the, um, you know, the different types of contracting also becomes more and more involved. Um, so, you know, it's important to really understand what you're getting into before you, you jump in. If the, you know, if the, the, you know, payer is talking about a structure where the operational lift is going to be greater, obviously, than the the revenue, the additional revenue. Then that that probably doesn't make sense. So it's really important to do the analysis of what's actually involved in implementing one of these contracts compared to the additional operational lift. Is that something that a doctor can really reasonably do themselves, or is that somebody they have to talk to the consultant or their accountant? I mean, I'm just trying to. I don't want people walking out a from listening to this and suddenly calling up the payors and then right. thinking, you know, that they were misled in any way. Is this something that the average doctor will really understand what the lift is or what the work is that's involved? Yeah, I, I do think it's something that requires, you know, some expertise. Um, it's definitely a different world. Um, and even people who are, you know, great at billing that, you know, practices have relied upon before, you know, the value-based stuff is new to them. Um, so, you know, it's sort of the issue of you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. And, you know, it's important um, to to get, you know, reach out and, and get some expertise because it is a new area. I'm sure 
once time goes on and this matures more and it's more prevalent, then there'll probably be, you know, uh, plenty of opportunity for people to learn about it and, and attempt it, you know, themselves, but we are still in the nascent stage of it. So. Right. For those practices that definitely have like their dedicated um, consultants or dedicated mm-hmm. uh, operational billing type people, this may be worth them investigating for sure. Are there other disadvantages other than kind of the amount of work that might be involved Um you know, have you ever seen someone do it? I guess maybe they never, they didn't see the extra money they thought they were going to see, but is there any other downside to doing it that you can think of? Yeah, there's, there's definitely cash flow impacts, you know, for people that are used to a fee for service and they might be, you know, uh, forecasting revenue, you know, on a more regular basis. You know, if you go to, for example, the, the bundled payments, those are usually on a monthly basis. So you just have to consider, you know, those issues. And then again, how you structure these contracts. So, um, you know, you, you can have a favorable financial impact. Sometimes um, providers get involved with these things a little bit too quickly. And then um, there's some negative financial implications. So you want to make sure you're optimizing your revenue to the fullest and you have everything set up to be able to do that. Well, that's a good point. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, wow, you know, I really do want to get into value-based care. It sounds like there's some preparation that's involved. Um, You said, you know, um, making sure their revenue, they understand their revenue stream. I assume knowing who their contracts are with, which ones are most valuable to them, making sure they have the right people helping them so that they can uh, make sure they have a, a team assembled and they're not thinking they understand something that they don't really understand and make a big mistake that affects their cash flow unexpectedly, et cetera. Right. So, okay, exactly. great. new slide. So tell us. And, uh, all about- that was a great, great uh, prompt. Um, <laughs> what, we, what we recommend is looking at some key areas and really doing an assessment on understanding where you're at and then identifying those gaps so that you can be prepared um, for assuming this new responsibility. So from a contractual perspective, exactly, you know, where are most of your patients, you know, where, where are most of their insurance coming from? You know, usually there's a concentration, um, maybe not, but let, you know, take a look at that. And then, because that will obviously influence those contracts. Um, and then how are they set up today? Are they purely fee for service? Are there any requirements, you know, you know, what kind of population do you have? Are you, you know, 20% Medicaid, 50% Medicaid, 50% Medicare? How how are your, you know, what is the mix of those type of contracts? So really understanding that um, is critical. Uh, from an organizational perspective, you know, the value-based stuff typically goes across organizations so that where people typically in practices have very you know, specific roles and responsibilities, value-based contracting sort of goes across. So how would you manage, you know, that, that whole care and, you know, model that goes across? Do you have the right people in place to do that? Um, Operationally, um, how do you look at if, you know, for example, that I used in the beginning where you might have an outcome that you're trying to achieve for, for your patient population, you know, do you have the the clinical model in place that can produce those type of outcomes? 
Um, do you have to do any tweaking or fine tuning to achieve that? Um, and then um, from a billing perspective, you know, does your, you know, either your outsource, you know, billing provider and or your billing system, can they handle things like bundled payment, for example? So for each of these, I won't go through every single area, but there are really key questions that need to be, you know, looked at and evaluated for each of these key areas so that you're not caught off guard as you enter into these value-based contracts. So for the physicians that you work with, have you seen them be able to increase the, and I'm guessing the answer is yes, because you're a proponent of value-based care, but mm -hmm. have you been able to see significant increases in revenue as a result of this switch to value-based care? Uh, is it just you know, a small amount? Is it a significant amount? Is it worthwhile now? Or is this something that people should wait a little bit longer until they try and get involved? Like, you know, what does it look like? Yeah, no, great, great questions. And, you know, as always, you know, um, you know, it depends if you're, you know, if you're just doing um, the pay for performance that I had mentioned earlier, you know, on, on all the way close to fee for service here, where you're looking at, you know, trying to achieve, you know, three outcomes um, with your patient population. And there's some, you know, upside, you know, there's little risk there. Um, and so that, you know, again, that might be a place to start and get your feet wet. And, um, and you know, that's, that's, you know, something to consider. Again, as you move closer and closer to, you know, the capitation model, there's more risk involved. And, you know, I, I would recommend more pause to take before jumping into these things. Um, so, um, you know, we always hate the it depends thing, but um, I think it's important to evaluate, you know, where you are, what, what, you know, also, you know, one thing we've done with, with several of our um, clients we've worked with is really look at um, what they're getting right now for revenue and how their clinical model is structured to see what the difference might be because in, for some practices and for some services, it might not make sense to jump in and have, you know, this extra operational responsibility and reporting and so forth, you know, where the fee for service is working right now. Um, and, but in other cases, as I mentioned in the beginning, you might have, you know, some very low rates and you're really struggling you know, in terms of compensating providers appropriately and being able to, you know, make ends meet. So, you know, that that is an area that we've seen, you know, a lot more progress and, you know, um, and, you know, more more revenue optimization for those, you know, practices where where you have those situations. So there are many factors involved in this. And that's sort of why we, you know, really encourage people before jumping into figure out, you know, all the different elements that might be appropriate for them. Right. I think that's great advice. And I think for many practices, they just have been thinking that they're not big enough for this to even be something to consider. And I think listening to you, that is definitely not, you know, a presumption to be made. I mean, you really need to take the time, maybe get a little bit of expert advice on this to, mm -hmm. to make that evaluation because, uh, if you are a good candidate, this could be, you know, an excellent opportunity to increase revenue. And who right. doesn't want to do that right now when doctors right. are, are really facing 
a lot of shrinking reimbursement. So for everybody right. listening, I hope that you'll consider, um, you know, everything that Janie has shared with us today. I mean, this is a lot to think about. Um, and definitely reach out with any questions to see if you're a good candidate. Uh, I know Janie and she's with CWH Advisors are happy to help. Um, this is kind of a very specialized area. So, you know, people, I, you know, that's not something your lawyer will help you with. And it's definitely not something that you're, you know, normal accountant is going to have the expertise in. So really do need to talk to somebody who knows this area, but it could be a worthwhile investment of time, um, you know, and money to have somebody review your practice. So I really appreciate you sharing this information. We're always trying sure. to help our doctors out there find ways to improve their practice and especially for independent practices to be able to stay independent, which is really what a lot of this, uh, you know, is about. So um, any Thanks. final thoughts on this topic? Is there anything we didn't tell people listening that you really want them to know about bringing value-based care to their practice? I think, you know, it, it is a, um, a big change, you know, from the current environment, but um, I think everybody would agree that moving away from volume-based reimbursement um, you know, in the long run, you know, is, is really a, a better way to go to treat people, but, um, it's very important for practices to survive and make sure that they're adequately compensated for. So that's where it all has to come together. Stating a little bit of the obvious, but <laughs> important. <laughs> well, I think that's great advice. And I hope, you know, we'll share your information. And if anybody has questions, please, you know, reach out to Janie directly. Uh, these are, you know, and I can imagine a lot of my clients, um, you know, will be really interested in this because everybody's struggling right now. Um, you know, that new physician fee schedule comes out every year and everybody's like, ah, you know, right. and then we're talking about how do we handle compensation for our providers going forward. We see costs going up and reimbursement going down. So there, right. there's some opportunities to investigate new areas of potential increased revenue and you have nothing to lose by finding out a little bit more about it. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Again, everyone, this is thanks. Janie Tremlett from CWH Advisors, and this has been the Health Law Hotspot. We hope to see you next time, and you can check out some of our other podcasts at ralaw.com. Thanks. The Retzel Health Law Hotspot is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Wetzel Health Law Hotspot does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Wetzel Health Law Hotspot should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.